I would say something that uh, the scientific community would very much back up. Correlation does not equal causation. That's true, but and, in the media it does. Uh, correct. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another dismally exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure, where two bald men are known to say their last name in unison occasionally without failure. There's often failure involved in that saying your last name is difficult sometimes, so... Uh, well, we have to is. put that caveat in there in case we fail next week. But we did it this week. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach. And before we talk to you about wealth and coaching on it, we've got to tell you the disclosures because we don't wish to be open. We are going to disclose the door. Wait, that is opening. Disclose the door. So why do we have two negatives there? Why don't we just say, let's say our opening? Well, that doesn't tell us. It's, okay. We have when disclosures. We do say it in our opening. Yeah, it is an opening, and it is a disclosure, which should be redundant, but, you know, here we go. Uh, yeah. the, the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of this radio program, but it's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm that gives fiduciary advice and portfolio management. That's a disclosure, because if you know the Personal Wealth Coach as an investment advisor, you're used to fiduciary uh, fiduciary advice given by the firm. And on the radio, that's not possible. We cannot give fiduciary advice on the radio because it needs to be private and it needs to be tailored to the listener. And as there are at least one of you out there that we don't know, maybe, there may only be one of you that we don't, maybe there's no listeners at all, but it's really hard to custom tailor one size fits all when we don't even know if there is an all. So, mm. and the privacy issue is if the only people listening to this live in Nigeria and have their notebooks handy to jot down account numbers and names and so on. If we gave you custom tailored information on the air, we'd be in violation of fiduciary duties. So we can't do that either. So what are we doing if we can't give fiduciary advice on the air and yet we're associated with this fiduciary institution? Um, education. What makes you think we know what we're doing? I never claimed to know what we were doing. Okay. Um, okay. I, I know sometimes I know what we're doing, um, but that's generally where I confirm it. To, oh, yeah, I, I think I actually knew that. Um, so knowledge is dangerous stuff. I also said that we're that the firm's registered with the SEC, but the SEC is not some kind of doting father that says all that they do is fine and well. They don't do that. They're a government agency, and the, their primary duty is regulation and enforcement. Now, their primary duty, nowhere in it has is it listed that they approve and like people. That is not part of their duty. Um, the FDA approves drugs. The SEC approves nothing. The SEC is more like a godfather than it is a father. <laughs> right. father. So why do we tell you? Because it's a requirement that we tell you and we would tell you anyway, even if it wasn't a requirement, because 
it's important that you know who your information is coming from and what lengths they've gone to. What's, what is the issue if they're wrong? And in our case, if we're wrong, the SEC will get upset with us if they find out about it, which is another thing. I mean, as the government, and sometimes they don't know about stuff. This isn't China. Um, but if they did find out about it, they'd be the ones that we'd be in trouble with. There. Mm. Now, um, where do we get our information? Oh, boy. you, when you <laughs> I just fed you a line like you have a yeah, – this is like yeah, paid yeah. commercial programming or something. Yeah. Um, the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. I do actively warranty and guarantee the incompleteness of all unsaid information. Good. I'm there, glad. There. Thank you. Very nicely. Um, you know what today is? Well, we've got we've got one more disclosure to do. I know. We don't, and we do. We don't pay for this program. The program doesn't pay us. This is not paid commercial programming. We do buy advertising on the station, as does the station, to advertise this radio program. We buy at market rates. There is no quid, quid pro quo, sen Senator. There is no Senator, quid pro quo. Right. Yes. Okay. It's October 1st. It is all day. And, 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 and as I walked out this morning at, at the front door of my house, I said, this is the kind of weather that in the summertime, we spend a lot of money to drive to Colorado to experience. Right. And we didn't have to spend money to experience it, but right. Florida didn't have to spend any money to experience much. They did spend some money to experience much wow. worse weather. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I figured out why they got hit by a hurricane. It may be too soon for morbid jokes, but we can go ahead if you wish. If you're willing to well, take the, the flack for whatever it am, is you're I about am, to say. I am willing to take the flack because here in Texas, many people have long noted that tornadoes, when you see the news reports on tornadoes and the pictures from the air and so on, it's always of manufactured homes or trailer parks when the tornadoes go through. Because when they hit a manufactured home, obviously, they wipe it out if they hit like a brick house, unless it's a category four tornado or above. The brick house generally is still there, so it's not anywhere near as impressive. So all the pictures you see, tornadoes in Texas, show the before picture is a manufactured housing development or something, and the after picture is just rubbish, rubble, and so on. Um, but the same logic applies to Florida. I was looking at some of the pic aerial photographs before and after, and I noticed that the news media seems to really be focused on the manufactured home subdivisions. Uh, so I figure that and I looked it up and found out, sure enough, there are more manufactured homes per capita in Florida than any other state. So that's why they get it with hurricanes. I would say something that uh, the scientific community would very much back up. Correlation does not equal causation. That's true, but and, in the media it does. Uh, correct. Uh, we've got a question out there from Inquisitor John, but since we already led with this as a story, what's going on? in the UK, um, well, let's kind of cover it. The new prime minister, Liz Truss, and her finance minister introduced a new budget. In their budget, they cut taxes. And if you listened to this program in 2017, you know that the bald McClures were very, very pro cutting taxes on corporate earnings and lowering the personal income tax rate in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It was a good time to do it. It was stimulative. The revenue to the government was likely to go up. It did wind up going up, by the way. 
uh, corporate revenue remained pretty close to flat. By lowering the corporate tax rate, they got the same revenue a little bit more. So what that said is that they had too much complexity in the tax code and it was too high. If you lower taxes and you raise your revenue a little bit, then you've done well. Now, we think that they've captured all of the revenue that they can get from lowering taxes. Now, when we did stimuluses during the pandemic, you heard these two bald guys on the radio, us, saying this is a great thing to do. We need to do this to prevent the ultimate disaster. We don't want to see deflation during this time period. We don't want to go into a depression. People are losing their jobs by the tens of millions this could very easily turn into a Great Depression. So a bunch of money got pumped into the system on top of the lowered taxes. And we said, this is all good. And now we're laughing and chuckling and saying, oh, it's a really bad idea for the UK to do essentially the same thing. It's timing. It's timing. When you're already in a place where you're not worried about deflation, but rather worried about existing and nasty inflation, stimulating the economy with extra cash as a knee-jerk reaction to newly coming into power while the central bank is trying to pull cash out of the economy, it's just dumb. So from a perspective of an economist, we look at this and say, ah, whoa, this is obvious. But I have heard so many people this week tell me, hey, uh, we did it and you seem to agree with it when we did it. What's different? Well, it's Kind of like when you're running a 100-meter race or a 100-yard dash, you sprint the whole time. But if you're running, running a marathon, that's not the way you want to do it. <laughs> so it's, you, you, there's some strategy depending on what you're doing at any given moment. And they utilize the wrong strategy here. I think we, we need to perpetuate the word that W came up with. Strategery. Yeah, there's some strategy they messed up on there. <laughs> yeah, that's, I agree. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah. I hope that they figure this out, but it is going to be something that probably propels them into a deeper recession rather than protects them from it. Turkey's yeah, doing I, something similar right now on the interest rate side rather than the tax side. It's Well, it's, this, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go, yeah, that was it. That was me wrapping that up. So I'm going to hand it back to you and... Then we can get to I'm a, a little little piece of long-term wisdom here. We said at the time, and I still firmly believe that Brexit was a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, some reason or another, there was a majority of those who voted, and apparently not a majority of the people, but a majority of those who voted just barely several years ago that determined that England could go at its own and and literally, and I this is this is not I'm not making this up, folks. The motto at the time is make Britain great again. And they decided to go it their own way and go their own route and break off from the European Union and not be interdependent and be alone in Great Britain again. Except for the fact, if you look at what's going on, they're facing, coming down the road, they've, they've got not, technically 9.9% inflation right now. But the Bank of England is expecting the inflation rate will rise to 20% in the immediate future. Their pound has hit an absolute record low this last week against the dollar. Dollar and six cents would buy a pound. To put that in perspective a little bit, the pound sterling, when we went off the Bretton Woods agreement, was $2.75 to buy one pound, which is the British currency. It was a dollar and six cents. It closed out the week at a dollar nine. 
uh, at the in 1950, it was four dollars to the pound. In other words, for the from their perspective, a dollar was a quarter, and it has surged up and down since then. And it, but it basically collapsed last week. And you can take this all the way back to uh, you, you can take this all the way back to uh, as far back as you want to go, and and you can see that going it alone in a global environment like we are trying to 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 isolate your country is really 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 a bad idea because it just doesn't work we can't do it anymore it's it's like an individual state trying to go its own go it go its own way 100 years ago right we got another message from inquisitor john the first question we have from inquisitor john our most faithful questioner thank you john once more his first question is, as is tradition, a digital picture of the paper Wall Street Journal emailed to us from his phone. The, the subject of the email is private equity, and the question is, what are private equity and illiquid investments? There's a, there's a headline in the Wall Street Journal that says, pensions face losses on private equity. And I think John is really good at prepping us with questions that he knows the answer to because he listens to the program. Because we've been talking about the dangers of private equity and, and the illiquidity of it for, what, two decades? Three? <laughs> Something like that. Um, do you, do you want to start this? This is one of your favorite subjects, so I don't want to well, take the whole soapbox here. I think you, you're, you're welcome for this question. Private equity is questionable. That's the nicest thing I can say about it. it, it is Let, how let's the, say what it is first, I think. Okay. Private equity is something that's not traded. In other words, it, it, the first time I heard it talked about a lot, although it certainly happened before that, not was with the publicly, Yale. Publicly, publicly right. not it, traded. It, it, right. it, well, it's it's often not traded at all. It's just sitting there. You know, like tens of thousands of acres of forest land is a chunk of private equity, and you don't trade tens of thousands of acres of forest property. Not, of, but of they wood. had to buy it, so that was a trade. Yeah, which is well, very rarely traded. Got it. Yeah, um, I wouldn't even call that a trade, but that's okay. It, you, you, I got you. Um, the point is that it's illiquid. That's and that was the second half of his question. It's illiquid, meaning there there is no liquid market where you can. Hey, I need to sell my five hundred thousand acres of uh, woodland. You just uh, show up at the local farmers market and say five hundred thousand have acres for sale. No. Nobody's there to nope. buy that right now. Doesn't work that. So you really don't know what it's worth. That's just the, want that's... the potatoes, sir. Just the potatoes. Yeah. So so when you if you have private equity in your portfolio someplace and whatever it's in, you don't know what it's worth because you don't know what something is worth until you sell it. Now on the stock exchange or most bonds, not all bonds, but for many bonds, widely traded bonds, um, and for almost all stocks. Minute by minute, you can tell exactly what it's worth because somebody just paid that much for a share of that stock. That's liquid. Illiquid is something, like I said, it's warehouses or uh, businesses or there, there's a lot of your your personal residence is relatively illiquid, meaning you can't say, goodness gracious, I'm short on money today. I think I'll sell a quarter of my house. Uh, and you don't know what the price will be on your house until you do sell it. And a lot of people, if you know, it's ancient history, and, and you need to look in your history books to read this. But back in 2008 and nine, people discovered that rather dramatically suddenly that the stack of bricks and, and mortar and wood and carpet and so on that they called a house 
was worth in many cases a lot less than they thought it was worth. Yeah. So and during that time period, there was a big scandal and the banks were required to do something called mark to market where they actually had to go out and look at the value of the mortgages that they held on the market that day to see what the value was. They removed that as a requirement not long after putting in because it made a lot of banks fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, so private equity is illiquid in investment that is put it's it's hypothetically divided up into pieces and then sold to people who probably shouldn't own it in many cases. But the problem is pension funds have jumped into this. The Yale and Harvard endowments fund, endowments were the big thing. Muhammad El Irayan, who has still got this tremendous reputation and everybody thinks he's phenomenally wise and all of that, was involved in that. But the Yale and, and Harvard pension funds, particularly Harvard, got into some deep trouble a few years later when they ran short on money. Uh, during the financial crisis, uh, after their funds had managed to dodge the bullets and and do wonderfully and always rise, and they never fell. It's kind of like the Chinese economy. And they actually needed some of the money, and they went to try to sell some of the forest land they turned out was in South America. And not only was it worth probably less than they paid for it, um, they couldn't find anybody to buy it. And if you can't find anybody to buy something that you own, you know what that means the value is? According to the market, if you can't find somebody to buy it at any price, it goes to zero. That's right. And as a result, they had to lay a lot of people off and they had to do some weird stuff. And they became gradually aware of the fact that those wonderfully inflated portfolio returns they got really weren't there. They were uh, ghost returns, as they're sometimes recalled. vaporware we used to talk about in the software business. So what an illiquid private investment is, is someplace that looks like it smooths out the market fluctuations because the price doesn't go up and down. Well, the reason the price doesn't fluctuate is because there's nobody buying and selling it. And it's typically carried on the books. Historically, conservatively, it was carried on the books at the price it was paid for which sometimes isn't true because it could have gone down. Recently, there has been some changing in the generally accepted accounting practices where they can use comparative something someplace with hypothetically move to another place versus something else again and say, okay, this is what it's worth this year. And so they would bump the price up every year, which is what some of the accounting firms were doing uh, and got in a lot of trouble in the financial crisis and in the cri- several crises before that is they had illiquid investments and the accounting firms were allowing the company that had the illiquid investments, the private equity, to keep bumping the price up based on some hypothetical something or another. Again, the, the illiquid alternative investments, they're sometimes called, are intrinsically dangerous. There are ways of doing it, but you need to be sophisticated and really understand what you're doing to get involved in them and figuring out what they're worth. And I could go into that in more detail than you want to, but that's the problem. And there's a lot of, and, and let me, if I could take this one step further, please, Josh, uh, John, or whatever, whoever you are, Jake, <laughs> one, one, somebody one on of the my radio. Sides, yeah. Uh, I am waxing a little more eloquent than I normally do. And, but I'm going to tell you something, something that's a little, that's a little bit frightening. And I, we've talked about this for years, so this is nothing new and I'll probably get some flack over it as I had in the past. Anytime, that you're pooling your money into something and it is not protected by the Investment Company Act of 1940, which has to do with pooled money. Investment Company Act of 1940 regulates mutual funds. So when money is pooled together in a pension and it is not in regulated securities, it is not carried on an exchange, whatever they're investing in, 
and is not protected because it's pooled money. Under the Investment Company Act of 1940, there is some significant risk. Now, it makes the company look good that is funding the pension fund, and it makes them need to put less money into the pension fund because the values look really, really good. But the article that John sent, which was a good one, points out that that's about to fall apart, probably. That is about to start coming apart at the seams. And it did this week in the United Kingdom. And it's not going to be pretty. And the other place people tend to pool their money and think it's completely secure is insurance companies. And when I say insurance companies, I don't mean the variable products that they offer, which are market-based. I'm talking about the fixed fixed interest rate guaranteed insurance products. If and we talked about, I talked about earlier how the bond market is in a bear market. The majority of investments held by an insurance company to back up its fixed annuities are generally speaking in the bond market. If the bond market is just taking the biggest hit it's taken in 40 years, and if interest rates were to continue to rise and be high, which a lot of people are afraid of, there could be some serious problems there. Their guarantees are only worth as much as the company is worth. So go into this with your eyes open and recognize if you have a fixed interest annuity that is not liquid, uh, you may you need to really, really, really have an idea of what you just invested in because you invested in a single company and they're based it on a portfolio that you can't see and you can't see the valuation of. And you're just hoping and praying. It's diversification. If you want, if you want a lower risk on investment, I don't mean on savings, on investment, diversification is is job one, I think. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Uh, another big part of this, and I'm going to make it really clear, the tax cut that was done in the UK that is proposed, it's not actually in force yet. So how is it having such a big impact on their market? Well, because the market makes a prediction. You buy something because you think it's going to be profitable, not because you think it's not going to be profitable. And you sell it because you think it's going to lose money, not because you think it's going to make money. You were going to say something? And one of the things that's been very popular in private equity is, and I mentioned this because it is, it's it's called lumberland. It's timberland. In other words, if you look at it, let's say you had 100,000 acres in East Texas or in South America or whatever of land with trees growing on it. How do you price that? Since obviously there's not a, a daily trade of 100,000 acres of land. And here I was looking at how those are priced when you see them on a statement, presuming you have an alternative investment that has lumber or timberland in it. And what they do is they look at the cost per square, per, per, per linear foot, per foot of lumber that they could sell on the open market. And they look at the number of square, number of feet of lumber that's in those trees. And they say, okay, that's how much it's worth. And then they subtract the fixed cost of cutting the tree down, dragging it out, cutting it up, and bringing it to market, which is a fixed dollar. And they subtract that from it and said, here's how much it's worth. There's a problem well, in that the lumber yards are at full capacity now. Lumber yeah. prices are way, way down. They're pre-pandemic levels now, which is nice. Well, but the lumber yards are you, still <laughs> unable to take more wood, and the, the lumber mills are unable to take more wood than they already have to cut up. This, that's what I was going to say. Typically, these things are priced about once a year. And so a year ago, at the end of the year, lumber was $1,144 a foot. Woo! A thousand, I'm sorry, a thousand feet. A thousand yeah. feet of lumber thousand board feet, was yeah. 1,000 board feet was $1,143. 
And as of Friday, it closed at $424.80. And so if you looked at your statement and you're a pension fund manager and whatever, your company has a pension fund and said, well, we don't have to put any money in our pension fund this year because the price of all that uh, woodland that we own is so tremendously high, we're sitting fat. Well, guess what? It's dropped by, to use a technical term, a whole bunch. A whole bunch. Uh, like it's dropped by three quarters. Yeah. 75% fall. And that and, and means so you, if you're, if you're say UPS, I'm not saying UPS has this in their firm or in their pension plan, or if you're any company with a pension plan, what you're looking at to see how much money you have to put in your pension plan on any given year, there's a number that the government states that says whether you're over or underfunded. Most plans are underfunded right now because interest rates have been so low that they're not getting a yield to maturity on those interest rates that's very high, so they've got to put in a bunch of money every year. Now you throw in the thing that's supposed to help that is interest rates being higher, but when you own a bunch of bonds and interest rates go up, it means the value of your portfolio dropped drastically on today's market. So they're under underfunded again, even though this is the thing that long-term will cause them to be fully funded if interest rates are high and they're able to keep up with inflation and all that stuff. Okay, so let's tie this all back together. This means that a lot of pension funds that are right on the edge may fall off the edge. There's some degree of protection in pensions, but not a great deal. It's not like the banks. There are protections and you're going to have, if you wind up getting a letter from your pension saying that there's problems, and those of you that have gotten those know what I'm talking about. Those of you that have never gotten them are going to act surprised like, wait a minute, they can do that? They, there's, there's an, they told me I was going to have a pension and now they're telling me maybe they won't. Um, this is one of the things that I tell people they need to talk to a qualified fiduciary about when they get a letter from their pension company that's offering to do a buyout. Don't ignore it because those buyouts generally come when they're having trouble meeting their obligations and it may be the best offer you'll get. It might be a lowball offer. You need somebody to be able to look at it and tell you what they're offering you. Uh, and a typical salesperson is going to tell you, take the offer almost every time because they want to take your money and invest it for you. You need a fiduciary that's going to say, um, this is a lowball offer and they may give you more or you got to take this because this is their last ditch. Hail Mary, things are about to fall apart. You may not get anything if you don't take it. So this is important. Illiquid investments are going through a rough time period right now. That means pensions are going to be going through a rough time period right now. Uh, pensions are already going through a rough time period because of bond market issues. So if you get a letter, this is as adamant as I can be on the subject. Find an expert about it. Talk to them. Make sure that they're working for you and not some other corporation. If they're a salesperson, they're going to be motivated by making a sale. And if that means they tell you to take an offer that's a bad offer, they may think it's a great offer. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how, cl how much clearer I need to be there. And this is probably talking to only a few people in our audience. But the rest of you probably should be aware of it because it's a much larger piece of the overall economic picture that's going on right now. Whew. There.
that yeah. wrapped that up. I said last hour we were going to talk about Hurricane Ian as a factor in the economy. Right now, it is a horrible picture to look at. Looking at what's going on in Florida, you see boats piled up on bridges. You see uh, flattened trailer parks. You see islands where there are flattened rock and stone and brick buildings. Um, this, I mean, it was a big storm. The impact on our economy is also large. Uh, the consensus right now based on the damage and the scope of the damage is for this last quarter, we're in the first day of this next quarter, as much as a 0.3% drop in GDP. We're already struggling to get any growth in all in those GDP numbers. We've had two quarters with with negatives where we're shrinking, not growing. This third quarter is also going to be shrinkage. And I realize my other economics friends and colleagues that listen to this, that I should technically be saying negative growth, but I believe that to be an oxymoron. You cannot have negative growth. You have shrinkage. Contraction is a one. Yeah, contraction is good. I like shrinkage better because contraction sounds like you're giving birth. Well, we are. Well, we, maybe we are. Uh, some people are. <laughs> On Labor Day, it's what it's all about, right? <clears throat> oh, boy. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe I got that one mixed up somewhere. But, yeah. <laughs> I have something that I wanted to bring up because it's something that every time I've talked about it lately, I've gotten blank stares and, huh, they can do that? Uh, and that is, we mentioned earlier in the hour, we did tax cuts in 2017. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it lowered permanently the corporate income tax. It also lowered the tax bracket for all areas of personal taxes. All of the brackets came down. That's a big deal. Uh, it wasn't permanent, however. And the way that they update the brackets at the IRS is written into the law, and it was based on a certain type of measuring inflation. In the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, they used a different type of measuring inflation for tax brackets, and that part of the bill was permanent for the IRS. Well, it seems like I'm quibbling about one kind of inflation over another kind of inflation. The way, and we talked about this at the time, and I recommend you go back and listen to some of our radio programs from 2017 about the dangers of getting complacent about these tax cuts. We said at the time, the way they're measuring inflation now on a permanent level for these tax brackets. So how does it work? Well, if you make X amount of money in the year, you're in this tax bracket. But they have inflation adjustments that they put on there. And that means that they're measuring inflation as a larger number for the tax bracket purposes, which means if you, what's going to happen in 2026 is if you're in the 22% tax bracket, you're going to be in the 24% tax bracket. And if you're in the 24, you might be in the 28, and if you're and so on. And the top tax bracket is going to be 39.6 instead of 37. But who is in those brackets is going to include a lot more people in the upper brackets because of the way they applied inflation and the fact that we just hit a lot larger inflation than expected. The way they're measuring the inflation doesn't take into account real inflation. It's looking at well, if inflation was weak, 
as it was when this stuff came out, this is who will be in there. So the upper brackets are going to contain more people in 2026, and the upper brackets are going to be higher than they are today. That's something I'm saying this because people seem to have forgotten that this is already in the law. Nobody has to pass a law to raise taxes. It's going to happen. Uh, And nobody is talking about making the personal income tax rates permanent. The Republicans are not using this as any kind of a rallying cry right now. The Democrats are certainly not either. So on the books with no action and no congressperson will take flack for this because it was done in 2017, our taxes are going to go up, which changes the way you should be planning for the future. Hopefully you don't go to your tax preparer and you're worried about if you withheld enough last year when you do your taxes. Hopefully you're looking ahead to say, am I holding enough out this year? And will I hold enough out next year? Well, if you take it a step farther for your estate tax purposes and your um, in investment planning purposes to look out to 2026 and beyond and realize there's a lot of stuff that's changing. Uh, the, the, there's some questions about what's going to happen to estate law at which parts of the uh, sunset affect estate law from the 2017 act. So I realize this is really esoteric stuff and people go, this is tax code he's talking about, but it amounts to higher taxes. And I think people get that pretty clearly. If you're not planning on it, you need to, uh, your taxes are going to be higher in 2026. So if you would, we're about just the last few seconds of this hour. So if you would like to talk to us off the air, The Personal Wealth Coach does investment management and portfolio management and fiduciary investment advice to people of high net worth. If you would like to talk to us off the air, uh, there's voicemail during the weekend, but real live people during the week locally at 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll free at 1-800-1111. 914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our website, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There you can see our made-for-radio faces and the beautiful faces of our staff. You can also listen to radio programs going back lots of years, read newsletters going back lots of years, sign up for the newsletter to be sent to you every Friday evening. Uh, you can uh, find our podcasts anywhere podcasts are found or, or can contact us through the contact form or directly through email at jeff at tpwc.com and or jake at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.